Our scripture this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Uh, We had begun a series through Philippians just before Christmas and then took some time off. We'll resume that uh, today. Uh, As you're turning there, for those of you that have not heard, uh, please keep Yvonne McElwee and her family in your prayers. Her father, Mr. Max Freeze, passed away uh, this morning. Uh, Would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful that you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would come and speak to us now. That we would see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. That his sheep would hear his voice. And that we would know him. And follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. How can I be happy when my enemies have me chained up and my, quote, friends are kicking me while I'm down? Those were literally the circumstances under which Paul wrote Philippians. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Paul was writing in prison and he wanted to let these people know that though in captivity he was triumphant and rejoicing, he was happy. And he wanted them to have the same Experience. Paul was in chains as he wrote this, but he wasn't only chained. Look at verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There were Christians, at least on the surface. He says they were preaching Christ but they were trying to add affliction to his imprisonment, insult to injury, kick him while he was already down. And yet, as Lloyd-Jones pointed out, even under these circumstances in which he wrote, Philippians is the happiest letter Paul would write. Paul had a joy down in his soul that his circumstances did not control and his suffering could not destroy. And he wants us to have that same kind of joy. 
The Lord moved him and inspired him to write these words because he wants us to have that kind of joy. Now, I realize none of us is in chains this morning. But maybe you have something that's holding you down, some circumstance beyond your control, perhaps people who you would think or at least hope would be your friends are making you miserable. Let's see how Paul dealt with it. First in this passage, you see that Paul had joy in suffering because the gospel was advancing through it. The gospel was advancing through his suffering. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Notice he does not say the gospel was advancing in spite of his imprisonment. It was advancing through his imprisonment. His circumstances were being used of God to advance the message of the gospel. And this was happening in at least three ways. First, Paul has directly testified in his chains. Look at verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. His suffering had opened up new opportunities to witness for the Lord. Because of that, the gospel has now spread throughout the imperial guard. This is exactly what Jesus promised his disciples would happen. Luke 21, Jesus said, before all this, that is before the end of the world, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. This persecution became an opportunity to bear witness in the highest places. In 72 AD, the emperor Vespasian ordered the construction of the great Colosseum in Rome, some of which stands to this day. It took eight years to build that Colosseum. It said it could hold up to 80,000 people. That's the seating capacity of williams Bryce Stadium. That's bigger than Levi Stadium in Santa Clara where Clemson annihilated Alabama Monday night. The Roman Colosseum was built so the Romans could watch gladiators fight to the death and public execution. It was attended on average by 65,000 people. Christians were martyred in the Colosseum. Christians were crucified, burned, and fed to lions in the Roman Colosseum. And this place of primitive sport became a forum where 65,000 80,000 people would come to watch Christians make their last stand and speak their last word for Jesus Christ. 
Now, I doubt any of us will wind up being fed lions. But the gospel can and frequently does advance through our suffering. There was a world-renowned New Testament scholar in our Presbyterian ARP church, brilliant academic writer, wrote many books. Several years ago, this dear and brilliant man, godly man, his life was cut short, humanly speaking, by an aggressive form of cancer. And I remember when he passed, going through the receiving line in Columbia, and his widow telling me about all the doctors, the nurses, and people in hospital he'd been able to talk to about Jesus through his suffering with cancer, people he would never have known otherwise. The gospel was advancing through his suffering, and therefore he had joy in it. Now, second way the gospel was advancing was in Paul's influence on other believers. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, not only was Paul reaching unbelievers through his imprisonment, but he was encouraging the believers who were there. There were soldiers in Caesar's guard who had come to faith in Christ. But now... The imperial guard was a tight spot for a Christian to be. Most all of us have been in situations where it was intimidating to try to speak up for Jesus. And when we get in that situation, most of us simply don't say anything at all. But but then someone with fire in his belly comes along and inspires us. Back in the 1950s, there was a Presbyterian minister who absolutely could not sit down, look someone in the eye, face to face, and tell him about Jesus. He could preach a magnificent sermon, but he couldn't sit down and tell one person to his face about Jesus. Then another preacher invited him to come up and preach special services for a week. And that preacher, during the course of that week, would uh, take him to people's homes. And this other preacher was like Paul. He was already always ready to talk about Jesus. And this quiet, introverted, awkward man watched his bolder friend lead one person to the Lord after another. And it emboldened him. And then he went back to his little church and in a few years they reached several thousand people in their community as a result of that, as a result of a more gregarious believer rubbing off on a more timid believer, a great evangelistic enterprise began that went to every nation on earth. And as a result of the Apostle Paul being chained by the imperial guard and his unintimidated testimony, believers that had previously been timid were beginning to speak up 
and the gospel message was advancing. Turn, if you would, to Acts 28. Turn back a little bit to Acts 28. This describes the circumstances of Paul's imprisonment from which he wrote uh, Philippians. Acts 28, and look at verse 16. like the sound of pages turning in the sanctuary. Beautiful. Acts 28, 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. Paul was essentially under house arrest, chained uh, to a guard in, in an apartment uh, that he uh, rented. All right, verse 17. After three days, he, yes, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So here Paul, he's chained to the Roman guard under house arrest and he's sending for the, the local leaders of the Jews and telling them why he's in chains. I'm in chains for the hope of Israel. Now look at what was happening. Look at verse uh, 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he says, but others disbelieved, chained to the Roman guard under house arrest from morning till night. He's got people coming in and he's telling them about Jesus, the kingdom of God, showing them that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And now look at Acts 28 and verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul, chained to a Roman soldier, preached the gospel boldly and without hindrance for two years. And his boldness was contagious to the other Christians. Now, the third way the gospel was advancing is the most unusual way. We're back on the text now, Philippians 1. And look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I don't know what's going on there. There have been various theories, but, but I just don't know. But, but what it says is 
that there were people preaching the gospel with the intention of getting Paul into worse trouble than he already was. They were preaching the true gospel, not a distortion, not a heresy. This is what I mean by his so-called friends kicking him while he's down. Are they Christians? They seem to claim to be. Are they (coughs) people who would claim to be Christians who are factional, just trying to divide the church, or what? Who knows? Christians sometimes, even in preaching the gospel, work against each other. Churches split up, but what man means for evil, God can use for good. That's what Joseph said to his brothers who, in hatred, sold him into slavery, and yet God used their evil intentions to save the world, including them, from a famine. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God used the worst evil ever perpetrated on earth to accomplish the greatest good of all time. And somehow, the Lord is using people's hatred of Paul to make the gospel known. And so Paul says... Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Even though they were trying to hurt him, Paul can rejoice because they are advancing the gospel. You see, Paul has joy in terrible circumstances because he is committed to something outside himself, something bigger than himself. If you want to lead a miserable life, here's how you do it. Limit yourself to yourself. Your feelings, your circumstances, and I guarantee you will be a miserable person. But oh, the opposite is just is true. Tom Caldwell got me involved with the ministry at the jail down in York. I go there on Monday mornings. And one day the curriculum that we used had a warning in it. It told the inmates that you could get out of prison but still be locked up on the inside. And that's true. But I had to tell them, the opposite is just as true. You can be locked up in prison, but free on the inside. A great New Testament scholar, F.F. Bruce, called Paul the apostle of the heart, set free. He was chained to a Roman soldier, but his heart was free. Paul's circumstances were worse than any of ours. Read 2 Corinthians 11. But while his circumstances were worse than any of ours, 
I would venture to say he was happier than any of us. Now, some of it's just the way it was wired, of course. God doesn't make everyone a jovial personality. But Paul had real joy in horrible circumstances because his joy had nothing to do with his circumstances. Paul had joy in suffering because the gospel was advancing. Now, secondly and finally, Paul had joy in suffering because he was in Christ. Look at verse 13 again. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's what the modern translations say. I'm imprisoned for Christ. But that is not what Paul wrote. Paul wrote, it has become known throughout the imperial guard that my chains are in Christ. He's not saying everyone can see what I'm doing for Jesus, how brave I am. No, he's saying everyone can see that though I am in chains, I am in Christ. In other words, there is a greater reality to my life than my circumstances. These chains, and it is this, I am in Christ. Turn to Philippians 3, a page ahead, and I promise we'll quit here. Philippians 3, and look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found where? In him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says nothing matters but that I am in Christ. Whatever was gained to me outside of Christ is nothing. I want to know his death. I want to know the power of his resurrection in his life. I want to be covered in his righteousness. And Paul says here that his chains have made it manifest that he is in Christ. And therefore, he rejoiced. Calvin said, so long as we remain outside of Jesus Christ and he is separated from us, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race is useless and of no value to us. My friends, if you are not in Christ, nothing else matters. Friends, 
If you are in Christ, nothing else matters. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.